Luke 14, 25. And I'm not trying to follow uh, my brother, <laughs> but this is where we've landed. And uh, quite similar to the Sunday school in some ways. You know, in the beginning of this chapter, we have people that are desiring to be, number one, people that are desiring to be recognized. As we come on over in the chapter, we looked and we see a great supper made, and you know who's invited? Those that were invited didn't come. So he sent out in the highways and hedges. He invited the lame, the blind, the halt, the maimed, and there's still room. Still room. And we find that, you know, here is man that the world has got man so wrapped up that he can't come. He's got oxen, he's got houses, he's got land, he's got a wife, he's got children. I mean, all of these... All of these, by the Word of God, they begin to make excuse. Verse number 25, we'll begin reading here. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and his wife and his children, brethren, sisters, yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He's not calling anybody to a higher standard. He's calling people to salvation. This is not you can be saved and if you want to move up higher. No, that's not the case. We're talking about salvation. And whosoever doth not bear his cross come after me cannot be my disciple. For where, which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? lest haply after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, and all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sent an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, he of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears... To hear, let him hear. I believe he's saying this. Let us give serious consideration to what's being said. So as Joseph touched on in John chapter 6, I have John chapter 6, verse 66 written down by the side of this. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned unto them. You reckon at the end of... Uh, Luke chapter number 14, you reckon there will be a whole lot less people following the Lord? I believe it will be just like it is in John chapter 6. When the conditions are laid down, 
And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this, that I, if I do this, I'll be saved. I'm saying that these are the conditions that the Lord is laying out for you to consider if you even want to hear about how to be saved. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. So let's think about this. And you know what? The, what, what? What's the goal here? I believe the goal is this, that we have salt in ourselves. He says salt in ourselves in Mark. But if the salt has lost its savor, if the salt has lost its power, if the salt has lost its ability to season, what good is the salt? It's of no value at all. It's not, it's not even fit for the dunghill. What's it good for? To be cast out into the street, to be trampled underfoot. But what's, what's he saying? Is he talking about salt? He's talking about the grace of God in the individual. He's talking about the workings of God in the individual. So the first thing that we see is we see that there's going to have to be a desire. If a man come to me and hate not his father and mother... Now, the previous verses, you know what's, you know what's separated them? Well, this fellow's got a wife, he can't come. Other fellows, he's got some oxen, maybe he's got a new tractor. The other fellows just bought some new rental property, he can't come. I don't have time for God right now. I'm way too busy. And my life is so wrapped up in the things of the world that I, I really, here's the real problem. I really don't have time to think on God. It's not whether I have time to be saved. I don't really have time to think on God right now. I'm way too busy and I'm working on things that are much more. Now think with me. In man's mind, they're much more important than the call of God. They're much more, they are of much greater value than the things of God. So Jesus has got a multitude following He's going to thin the crowd down. And He says this, If any man come to Me and hate not his father and mother and sisters and children and brethren and his own life also, what's, what's going to happen? I tell you, there's going to be a great separation. And the separation really is going to be in you. There's where the separation is going to be. It's going to be separating you and the world and the things of the flesh and those things that are temporal and those things that are only going to last for a while. There's going to have to be a love for God that's above that that is temporary and that that's temporal. And you know, it's going to get close. It's going to get so close that it might bring separation and I don't mean literally, I mean spiritually, it may bring a separation between you and your family. It may bring a separation between you and your wife or you and your husband. Or, or it might bring a separation between you and your siblings. But it is going to bring about a separation. And you know, you're going to have to decide whether what the Lord is calling you to and being saved and being a part of the family of God is that of more importance than your natural relations in this world.
I'm not saying that you have to give them up. I'm not saying that you have to give up being a sister or a husband or a wife or a friend. I don't believe that's what the Lord is saying. I believe the Lord is saying this, if you're going to be my disciple, there may very well come a separation between you and your family and you and your friends. It may come down to this, that they're going to be mad at you. They're going to be hurt at you. They're, they're, they're going to ostracize you. They're going to separate. You won't have to worry about you separating from them. They're going to separate from you. But know this, that that will come. That's coming. But I would ask you, is is it worth it? You see, mother and daddy and sister and brother and houses and land and friends and family I'm going to leave all of that. I'm going to stand before God alone. Are you prepared to stand before God? There were great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come after me, you know the world's bidding you, isn't it? The previous verses, the world's bidding after your allegiance. The world is after your time. The world is after your money. The world is after your mind. All the things of this world. You know, I, I've said this before. We're, we're working on the immediate and we forget the important. Isn't that true? Isn't man continually working on the immediate and that that is really important, that falls, you know what? I'm going to take care of that in a little while. I'm going to get to that when I've got time. I'm going to get to that as the Felix said unto Paul, at a more convenient season, I'll call for you, Paul. I tell you, there's no more convenient season than this morning, this time between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock on this Sunday morning, there'll never be a more convenient time for you to answer if there's a call of God coming to you. So, you know, there's a, this, this love, this affection, is my love and affection for the Lord greater than my love for my family? for my friends, for the world, for the things of this world? Is there a greater affection and a greater uh, 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 desire and a greater longing for the things and the presence and the power of God in my life than the things of this world? If there's not, know this. You cannot be Jesus' disciple. You can't be. Will it be painful? It may very well be painful. It may be very painful. It may be very painful that people separate themselves from you because you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But know this, that may very well happen. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to be born again, know this, that this is the price. People are not willing to pay the price today. Well, I, I just can't do that. 
Well, listen to the next little uh, example he gives. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, as you think about this, in the eyes of the family, in the eyes of the world, you know what you are? You're cursed. You're cursed. But no, know that you're going to be despised and cursed by the world. That the world has nothing to offer you. They have no time for you. They have no uh, uh, nothing to offer you in, in, in thought or to give their mind to you. They have no desire for you to even speak to them about this cursed salvation that you've got. If you've got a cross on your back, know this, in the eyes of the world, you're cursed. But if you take a cross, know this, that each and every day of your life is going to be painful to the flesh. Every day of our life, there is going to be a dying. You know, John the Baptist said, he must in, I, I must decrease and He must increase. Paul said, I die daily. Why, why was Paul dying daily? I'll tell you, every day of his life, there was a cross on his back. If I'm going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, know this, that I need to expect to die out to me. I need to expect for me uh, to decrease and Him to increase. I need to realize that in the eyes of the world, I'm someone who is a cursed individual, a cursed human being. I don't like the way they think. I don't like what they believe. I don't believe what they believe. Have you got a life like that? If you're going to be His disciple, you're going to have to be willing to take up your cross. Is it going to be a shame? I tell you, this is the honest to God truth. It's a shame today to be a true Christian. I tell you what's gloried today. I'm at the gym on Thursday morning. You know what's gloried on the day? A person on the treadmill and a pair of in black from top to bottom with a pair of rainbow socks on up to here. That's what's gloried in today. You want to be a child of God? There's no glory there. Nothing but shame and cursed and hated by the world. But if you're going to be a follower of Christ, know this, here's part of the cost of it. You're going to be hated by the world. You're going to have a cross. And day by day, you and I are going to have to die out to the flesh and to the things of this world. If I'm going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and I plan on finishing, I'll tell you this, that there's going to be a daily dying. When Jesus was going from Jerusalem to the hill, you think He was cursed? Oh, they called Him cursed. They said, let's see if God come by. Let's see if God answer Him. Let's see if Elias come. Oh, this man was cursed of God. That's what they thought, didn't they? That's what you're going to think about you and I if we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, you cannot. Is that, is that definite? That's definite. 
You cannot. Unless you do this, this is a requirement. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The next. For which of you, which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish? Verse number 29, to finish. Verse number 30, to finish. Have you got what it takes to finish? Not too many people finishing today. Here's your little statistic. Maybe it'll interest your mind. So in the United States of America, there is one half, point five. No, I'm sorry, not point five. Point oh five. One half of one hundredth of one percent of Americans finish a marathon in their life. There is one one hundredth of one percent of people in the world that finish a marathon in their life. One one hundredth of one percent. Now that's earthly. Do you know how many people went into Canaan? Thirty-three ten thousandths of one percent. Thirty-three ten thousandths. One percent divided ten thousand times. Thirty-three ten thousandths of one percent went into Canaan's land. You might say, I don't believe that preacher. Two out of six hundred thousand. Get your calculator out. Do however you want to think. Do you know what that is? That's one out of 1.8 million people. You see, finishing a marathon in the world is a lot more likely than being a Christian. By thousands, by thousands of percent, more likely for someone to finish a marathon than as the world as a whole to be a Christian. Isn't that something? Now he says, who of you have not, have not sat down and counted the cost? Have you counted the cost to be a child of God? Have you counted the cost to see what it would cost to be a child of God? What is the cost? Well, it'll be your life. It'll be you. It'll be you selling out. It'll be you loving the Lord. It'll be you taking up your cross. It'll be you counting the cost. And here's the thing, a lot of people start, but there's very few people finish. Multitudes on multitudes of people start and never finish. You know, I read in the Word of God in Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the sower that there was a group that came with great joy, and anon with joy they came. You remember that Scripture? Immediately, the Lord made the offer. Man, this sounds good. This sounds great. I'm going to follow the Lord. 
But the Bible said they had no root in themselves and endured for just a little while. And friend, when it, when it began to get dry, when it began to not rain, when it began that trouble came, when it began that there was persecution or tribulation, you know what they did? They decided that it wasn't worth it and they did not finish. I wonder if we're going to finish or not. I wonder if you're going to finish. I wonder if we'll be a finisher. He says, who of you, if you were going to build a house, wouldn't it make sense <coughs> if you're going to build a house today? Maybe you're going to build three bedroom, two bath with a basement. Maybe you're going to build a two bedroom with one bath with a loft in it. Would you not sit down and figure the cost on that? Would you not sit down and, and, and write it down? Write it down. What's it going to cost me to get the property graded? What's it going to cost to get a septic in? What's it going to cost to get a well drilled? What's it going to cost to put a foundation in? What's it going to cost for the footing, for the foundation, for the floor joists, for the floor, for the walls, for the roof? What's it going to cost to build this house? Wouldn't it be wise to sit down and count the cost before you started? You know, it'd be foolish. It'd be foolish to start a house and, and, and get the framing up, get it to the place that you had the framing up and the trusses on it and no more money. There's all of it a loss. All of it is a loss. I've lost all the framing. I've lost all the floor. I've lost, I've lost all the inside petition walls. If I've got them up, I've lost my trusses. I've lost every bit of that. The whole thing is a waste. Have you considered the cost of real salvation? Have you considered what it's cost to genuinely be saved? Have you considered that? Which of you doth not sit down and count the cost whether he have sufficient to finish. You know something? I'll say this. I don't know how it is for you, but when I built my house, you know what? I wasn't worried about buying no new truck. I wasn't worried about going to the beach every three weeks. I wasn't worried about going on some long vacation. The number one priority was for me to be able to get that under roof, get it dried in, get it to the place, a friend that I could get it in the dry and to finish that and not have any other major projects until I got that done. I tell you, that was, that was on my mind. And you know something? I knew it was going to be costly on many other things. There's a lot of other things that I could not do because of the price of building this home. I couldn't do these other things. I say, friend, how costly is salvation? Is all other things, should they be laid to the wayside? Should we, should we count up the cost of genuine salvation? And should we look and see, well, what's it going to cost me to build this tower? What's it going to cost me to get to heaven? What's it going to cost me? I tell you, don't be a fool. I don't start and lay a foundation and friend with joy start out with the Lord and then come along the way and friend not be able to finish what a fool you'll be I've seen a pile of people and I know you have too I've seen a multitude of people come and go 
There's very few people that stayed the course. Very few. Now listen. There's been very few people that stayed the course naturally and temporally. Not to mention, sitting in the house of God are people that are still unsaved. Sitting in the houses of God all over our land and country today are a people that have started out with joy and thought this would be better and persuaded by man and brought by man and brought by the persuasion of individuals and brought by peer pressure how to make some a profession and honor. But the honest of God truth is they've never sold out. They've never counted the cost. They've never laid every other thing aside. They've never come to a love and an affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see it. But if you're really going to finish, you better count the cost. How important is this salvation? Lest happily, after he have laid the foundation, now you see who laid this foundation? Man did. There's the problem. God didn't establish this. God didn't start this. You may lay you a foundation, but if God doesn't lay a foundation in your heart and in your life, I know this, you're not going to finish. It's not going to end up well. It's not going to be a good finish. It's going to be a ugly, ugly finish. Because, friend, when we come down to the end of the way, we're going to be like the man, a friend who built his house on the sand, and friend, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Oh, that we would consider the cost. Lest happily after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. You know what's going on? We've lost our salt. The salt has lost its savor. Can you see that? Well, I thought, I thought they were saved. I thought they were born again. I thought they were children of God. How in the world did they quit? Why is it that there's no witness of the Holy Ghost in their life? Why, preacher, they've been here all their lives. I've been here all of my life. I've been here for years. I'm faithful. Uh, you can count on me. I know that. I know that. I realize that. But you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking for you to witness for yourself. I'm asking God to witness for you. I'm asking where is God's witness for you? Where is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ being laid in your life? Oh, what a thing. What an awful thing it is how to come down to the end of the Way and not be able to finish. That's an awful thing, Lay out this big. I mean, what kind of house does God build? <laughs> oh, I tell you, He builds a magnificent house. Magnificent. That's what He says. Not magnificent. That has to do with me. Magnificent has to do with God. So God's going to build a house. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to glorify Him. 
It's going to glorify the Lamb of God. And friend, here we are. Here we are. Here is this man. And Jesus has got a multitude following him. And He says, if you're not willing, if you're not willing to sit down, would you, would you count the cost? Would you consider it? Would you, would you ask yourself? Would you think in your heart, do I have the means? Do I have the sufficiency to finish this? I'll say this in myself. I have no sufficiency to finish this. I have no sufficiency to finish the race. I have no sufficiency to finish the house. I have no sufficiency to finish the salvation that God began in me. But it will be a work of God that is ongoing. It will be an ongoing, as our brother said this morning, it will be an ongoing work of the grace of God on a daily basis. I believe you can see this naturally. I believe you can see that a couple and I don't I don't I don't want to say this to be ugly in any way. But you know young couples today they're 25 year old and they want a half a million dollar house at 25. They've just been working 3 years. They want a baby, two new cars, and a new house. Let me ask you this. If that's the desire, have you considered the cost? Have you considered what it's going to cost to have all of that? Is that what's important? Is that the most important thing? Oh, listen to what the Bible says. Lest they begin, lest they lay a foundation and not be able to finish. You know, the eyes of the world are on you. The eyes are watching us today to see whether we manifest the grace of God. The eyes of the world are on us today to see if we're going to stay the course. The eyes of the world are on us today to see if we've got something that will help us to deny ourselves. The eyes of the world are on us today to see if we love the Lord Jesus Christ above myself, above the things of this world. Do I love Him more than I love this world? Do I love Him more than I love my family? Do I love Him first and foremost of all? Am I willing to die? Am I willing to depend on Him? Am I willing to be scrutinized? Am I willing to be shamed? Am I willing to be called cursed? Am I willing today to pay the price out of finish? Oh, I would that God would open the heart and open the ear. So the world's looking at us saying this man began to build, verse number 30, and was not able to finish. My, I wonder, will you finish? How will you finish? Will we be disqualified? Will we try to go around? Will we try to go off course? Will we try to make it to the finish line without running the course? Will we try to go and make it across the finish line without completing, without going through what God has laid out? Paul said, I have finished my course. Who laid that out? 
He said, I run the race that is set before me, looking unto Jesus, the race that is set before you, who despise the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God the Father, lest you faint in your mind. You know what you can do? You can faint right up here. In the mind, you can faint. Oh, God, help us that we would have a mind and have a heart to think upon whether we're really going to be able to finish or not. Listen to the next one. The next one, what king? What's he doing? He's given us all these pictures to look at to see if we've got real salvation. What king? Would you consider yourself a king or a queen? You are over your life. You are. What king going out to battle? This is an easy picture to see. What king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth? Who's he consulting with? So, the United States is going to go to war. They're going to go to war against South Korea, uh, South, or North Korea. They're going to go to war against Russia. What, what, do we, what, what do you think our military strategists are going to do? What do you think they're going to do? You think all the generals, you think all the leaders of the armed forces are going to get together and they're going to consider what Russia's got, what North Korea's got. They're going to consider their availabilities, what they have to fight with, and they're going to look in their own arsenal and they're going to look to see what they have and they're going to say, well, do we need to send 10,000? Do we need to send 30,000? Do we need to send aircraft carriers? Do we need to send bombers? Do we need to send men on the ground? What do we need to be? What do we need to do to win this war? Have you considered who you're going out against? Have you considered this? Ecclesiastes chapter 8. There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given unto it. Let me ask you, do you know anybody that's overcome death? What's after death? Judgment? So I'm going out to meet a king. I'm going out to meet a king. Now, really, we're not talking about a king. We're not really talking about going to war. What we're talking about is an individual, a man, a woman, a boy, a girl. So I'm going out to war. Well, let's think about that. What am I going out? Is there any discharge from this war that comes down to death and after death the judgment? Is there any discharge? Has there anyone ever won this war? Anybody won? You're right. So what do I need to be able to overcome this king? I need a new birth. I need a birth 
that brings me into the family of God because I know this, there is no man. I'm not talking about the Lord Jesus. There is no man, there is no natural man, there is no temporal man that has ever won in this war. There is no man that has ever won. And know this, know this, that the one who has the keys of death and hell, do you know who he is? The Lord Jesus Christ. Can he cast into hell? Can he destroy both body and soul in hell? Should I fear him? Should I should I seek after should I seek after a a a a a peace treaty? Should I seek after friend? Am I going to war with him? I'll tell you this: if I go to war with him, I'm going to lose. There's nobody ever won in this battle. What should I do? Oh, I tell you what I ought to do. I ought to read the intelligence. I ought to read. I ought to understand. I ought to understand who my enemy is. And know this, friend: you might say, "Well, the devil's my enemy. Death is my enemy." I'll tell you this, unsaved, God is your enemy. How are you going to finish? Who send out first, shall he not sit down first and consulteth? You think I ought to look over the intelligence? You think there ought to be some good reasoning? You, you think, friend, that I ought to look at the history? Should I look at history? Does history repeat itself? Has any of your forefathers escaped? Tell you what, I need to do some consulting in my mind, in my heart, in the Word of God, in history. I need to realize this that I'm going out to meet God in a day or two. And listen, friend, when the end comes, that's it. There is no more redoing. When I go out, when I decide that I'm going out to war, know this. There will be no more peace talks. Oh, preacher, the peace talks may very well come. I may be getting the best of them. No, no, you're not going to get the best in this war. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, I'll tell you this, the wrath of God and the judgment will be no farther off than it is right now. It is drawing nearer and nearer and nearer. While the other is a great way off, we should desire, we should desire peace. We should desire, and you know something? Is there, is there, can there be peace? Can there be peace? Well, by the word of God, he says this, we should desire conditions of peace. <laughs> What's he talking about all through this chapter? Conditions of peace. He's talking about me being able to have peace in my heart, me having peace with God, me having my sins forgiven, me being brought into the mercy and the grace of God. He's talking about me having something in my heart that I can have peace with God. But we better do it now while He's a great way off. I'll say this, when He starts our way, 
And I realized that started at birth. But you know, there's some point in there the immediacy comes, doesn't it? Right now there's an opportunity to find conditions of peace. Right now, if you would consult with history, if you would consult with your Bible, if you would consult with the fact that there's nothing stirring in our heart, if we would consult with that, we would know this. We need, we definitely need uh, to see if we can find conditions of peace because I know this, I cannot win if He comes against me. And you see this. It's really not God making the initial move for war. It's man. Man thinks he can oppose God. Man thinks he can get by. But this is the Word of God. While the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Well, I I say this. If I'm going against a foe that's going to defeat me, Am I the one giving all, all, of the, all of the requirements for us to have peace? Am I the one giving the conditions of peace? Or am I asking Him, what would it take for me to have peace? Have you considered the cost? Have you considered that you are going to have to appeal humbly? You know where that puts me? That puts me in a place of humbleness. That puts me in a place where I'm dependent upon His grace. That puts me in a place that I'm going out against a king and I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust and I'm going to hope and I'm going to pray that He'll be merciful. But you know, here's the thing. People are so blowed up in themselves, they won't seek after conditions of peace. When the water started to fall, they liked to get into the ark. In Luke, when the door was shut to, they would like to get in the house. When Paul has gone from Caesarea or gone from Jerusalem to Rome, you know, uh, Felix can't Felix can't think about consulting with Paul again. I tell you, the days are swiftly running out for us to have an opportunity to come to peace with God. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sent an ambassador. Who all is going to be involved? The whole man. The body. The soul. The mind. The heart. If you want to separate them, you separate them. The whole man is going to have to desire conditions of peace. The whole man is going to have to come. You and your natural man is going to have to come down. You and your spiritual person are going to have to be relying upon the grace and the mercy and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God who sent Him. There's nothing else you can look to. Whatever the terms of peace are, I'll tell you what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to submit to that. I don't bring my own agenda to this King. I don't bring my own agenda to this Lord. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not, can you see this? Can you see that all is surrendered to whatever He says? 
Mary said to them at the wedding at Cana, whatever He says, do. You want conditions of peace with God? Whatever God bids you this morning in the depths of your heart and soul, whatever God bids you to do today, we ought to come to Him. While He's yet a great way off, while there's an opportunity to have peace, while there's an opportunity today to be under the grace and the mercy and the love of God, we ought to seek after conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, you know, all, you know what you're giving up? You're giving up you and that that is temporary to have that that is eternal. It really, if I could really consult, if the Lord would counsel me, if the Holy Spirit would speak to my heart, it's not really that hard, is it? But you know, man rises up against the grace of God. Man rises up against. You might, you might kick against this, but the Bible said that Stephen said you do always resist the Holy Ghost. Isn't that something? He that hath an ear... You know, I don't know how it was for you. I would like to have got saved the first Sunday that I went to church after I come under conviction. But you know, it was several Sundays before I got saved. I hear what I did. I had, spiritually speaking, I had my hand cupped around the back of my ear. I was listening. I was longing that God would speak to me. I was desiring that God would send something to me that I could realize that it was Him. That it was God speaking to me. You know, if, if, if I'd never went to church, if I'd went to church and, and, and there was nothing in the service that interested me, do you think I would have ever reasoned my need to be saved? Would it have ever come? Is there some responsibility when Jesus said, be careful how you hear? Does that carry any weight? How can they be saved? How can they believe on Him whom they've not heard? Salt is good. But if the salt has lost his savor, you know, he didn't say it's savor, did he? You would think if this was really talking about salt, literally. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, doesn't say that, does it? But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You know what we've got here in this chapter? We've got all these outward professors. But there's nothing in the heart. If you bear with me just another minute or two, I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew 5, verse 13. 
Matthew 5, verse number 13, he says this, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. In this context, folks, you know what? You know how the salt has lost its savor? The life and the doctrine that is lived and proclaimed is not in line with the Word of God. So therefore, I am no longer a light, a city set upon a hill. I am no longer a salt. I no longer have any power or influence over my neighbor and over my family and over my friends because of the laxness of my life and no power of God in it. Go with me to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter 9. The same words again, but a different context. Mark chapter 9. Verse number 49. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltness, wherewith, wherewith, Wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. What's the context of this? And have peace with one another. The context of this starts in verse number 33. What are they doing? They're disputing, by the way, who's going to be the greatest. He's talking about cutting off your hand, cutting off your foot cutting off your arm. What's he talking about? He's talking about having a life that you are willing to separate from the things of this world. A friend that you would be willing to give up. That you would be willing uh, to live a life in, uh, in, in accordance to the Word of God that you could have the grace of God in your life and be influential. Here it is, salt, right here. Listen, what do we need to do? I tell you, he says salt is good. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. What's the problem? Well, the problem is the pride. The problem is wanting to be number one. The problem is wanting to be exalted above somebody else. There's the problem. If I'm going to have salt, I tell you what I'm going to have to have. If I'm going to have the grace of God, I'm going to have to have a humble spirit. If I'm going to have the grace of God, I'm going to have to put you in front of me. And if I'm going to have the grace of God, I need the Lord Jesus Christ to put me where He wants me instead of me placing myself where I want to be. So we're going to lose our savor. We're going to lose the savor in Matthew 5. We're going to lose the savor in Mark chapter number 9. And Luke chapter... Chapter number 14, he says this. What's wrong in this? What's wrong in this chapter? We got outward professors that have nothing in them to finish with. You got people watching, people looking. People looking for a witness of God. People looking for the manifestation of the grace of God in your life. People looking for a a testimony. People looking for a witness of the Spirit of God. And there's not one there. Let me tell you what this does for the lost world. It drives the lost world farther away from God. He said in Luke that this... This tree planted in the vineyard, it's cumbering the ground. It's poisoning 
what's around it. When our life does not line up with the Word of God and there's no witness of the Holy Spirit of God, you know what I, you know what's happened? I've lost the savor of the salt. So salt was a preservative, right? Salt prevented putrefaction. Salt got the water away from the bone. Salt pulled the water and the impurities out of the ham that in, Jul- in, in November or December you killed the hog and you hung the ham up and you covered it with salt. And friend, in March you could slice it and in July you could leave it laying on the counter. It would not putrefy. If we've lost the savor and the power of the salt, Stinking stench, isn't it? A rotten ham? A rotten piece of side meat? What good is that? If it's rotten, I'm not going to put it in the dunghill. I'm not going to feed it to the dog. And I'm not going to eat it. And everybody that gets. Now remember, we're talking about a person. We're talking about a person. The stench will drive people away. Can you see that, folks? Can you see that a life that professes to have God in it with no witness is a hindrance to others? I hear what they say. She's saved. He's saved. I'm in. I'm going. You see, they're looking at your life with no witness and no spirit and power of God. And they have no discernment. The lost world has no discernment. The church has discernment. And we see that, that the, the, the salt has lost its saltness. How can I put the saltiness back in the salt? I can't do that. You can't put saltiness back in the salt. The exposure to the outside world has taken all of the saltiness and taken all the preservative and taken all the power that is able to preserve and able to, uh, uh, to bring the, the nastiness out of that meat. All of that's gone. You can't put it back in it. It is neither fit, so it's useless. I mean, would you think if there's any place left that I could put it, I could put it in the manure pile, right? I mean, I'm feeding these sheep and I've got this hay and they've trampled on it and they they peed on it and they've pooped on it. But you know what I'm going to do with that? Next spring, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to take a front-end loader and I'm going to gather all of that up. And I'm going to carry it up behind my house where I've got a compost pile. And I'm going to let it rot. And in a couple of years, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to bring it out and I'm going to spread it over the garden. You can't do that with this. This is not even any good for the manure pile. What's it good for? To be cast out. 
Where shall it really, where shall it really be cast? Where, where is the individual? See, it's not sold. It's the grace of God in the individual. What's going to happen to the individual? And who's going to do the casting? They're going to be cast into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going to be cast into the region of the damned. They're going to be cast into hell. They're going to be cast into a place where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever. You see, a profession with no spirit and no power of God in it. I tell you what it is. It's a great hindrance to man on this face of the earth. It's a great hindrance. It's a, it, in, it, it, it cumbereth the ground. What's going to happen in the end? He's going to cast it away. You know, if the Lord casts me away, how far do you think I'll be away from Him? How far will I be away from the grace and the mercy of God? He that hath an ear, is there true grace in your heart? Is there true grace? You know what I ought to do? I ought to consider seriously these few little verses right here and let me lay my life down beside these verses and see how do I measure up Do I have the salt of the grace of God, the power of the grace of God, the preservation of the grace of God? Do I have the grace of God that would bring me out of a place that I'm becoming smaller and I would give glory unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I have that? There were multitudes following. But when we get down to the end of this chapter... I'm afraid the crowd is very, very few.